0: The Lord be with you. with you. Lift up your hearts. We, we, hearts to the Lord. Lord. we welcome you to Mars Chapel on this Sunday as we join together in scripture and song in praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via podcast. Please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Associate Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today, we gather for the ninth Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest preacher and my Episcopal clergy colleague, the Reverend Dr. Regina Walton. Regina is pastor and rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Newton Corner, Massachusetts, and denominational counselor for Episcopal and Anglican students at Harvard Divinity School. She received her doctorate in religion and literature from Boston University. Her book, The Yearning Life, won the Philistical Poetry Prize in 2016. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, One God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Generous God, we gather in your house to praise you. The opportunity to say thank you is a blessing. We thank you for those times of plenty. Let us never take those times for granted in our own work ethic, instead of your grace. As the choir sings the Kyria, let us now pray. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.
1: A lesson from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, verses 4 through 16. But Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the lord was not in the fire and after the fire a sound of sheer silence when elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave then there came a voice for him to him that said what are you doing here elijah he answered I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of abba Mohelah as prophet in your place. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: A lesson from St. Paul's Second Epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in inflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying, and see, we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 42 with the Antiphon. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life.
1: Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
4: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One year ago this week, I was in Sewanee, Tennessee for a conference. One afternoon, we went off campus for a hike, and as we were driving back in one of the big University of the South vans, we started to pass a historical marker on the side of the road and the driver asked, does anybody know about the Highlander Folk School? I said, stop the van. We pulled over at the site where the original Highlander Folk School had stood. Founded in the 1930s by Miles Horton, Highlander's first focus had been the education and empowerment of rural people in Tennessee. It became active for decades in the labor movement, but when the unions reneged on their commitment to racial equality, Highlander shifted its focus to the civil rights movement. It hosted citizenship schools and voter registration drives across the South and held workshops that brought whites and blacks together for training and planning. It was shut down by the state of Tennessee in 1961 and then reincorporated as the Highlander Center in Newmarket, Tennessee, where it continues its good work today. Pete Seeger learned the song, We Shall Overcome, at Highlander. Martin Luther King, Jr. attended its workshops, and a photo of him there was plastered all over billboards in the South with the caption, MLK Attends Communist Training School. I had had learned about Highlander as part of my seminary education and have long been inspired by its scrappy dedication to democratic education, creative resistance to prejudice and oppression, and perseverance in the face of long odds. My favorite story about Highlander took place in 1955. A number of black and white civil rights activists had gathered from across the South for two weeks of training. At the end of the workshop, these men and women went around in a circle to share what they planned to do when they returned home to their communities. One woman, though, could not think of what to say. She was in her early 40s, the executive secretary of the NAACP in Montgomery. But she had grown discouraged, and the thought of returning home was daunting. I'm from the cradle of the Confederacy she said when her turn came. The whites won't let the blacks do anything and the blacks won't stick together. I can't think of anything that I could do that would make a difference. That was 1955. In 1956 this same woman decided that she did have it in her after all to do something at home in Montgomery or rather to not do something. She decided not to give up her seat on the bus to a white person in defiance of Jim Crow law. Her name was Rosa Parks. This sermon series at Marsh Chapel is on the theme of moving towards hope. And my sermon this morning is titled, The Spiritual Utility of Discouragement. We can't move through hope without moving through discouragement. And yet, discouragement is a feeling that Christians are usually discouraged from having. It's seen as a trap, the gateway to despair, or just plain negative, pessimistic. We have a sense that spiritual people, and especially Americans, should be able to look on the bright side, to see the silver lining, to remain optimistic and hopeful no matter what. But you know, dumpster fires don't have a silver lining. And there are many reasons why the phrase dumpster fire was added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary earlier this year. So I guess I'm here this morning to preach some good news about discouragement for those of you who, like me, find yourself deeply discouraged about our national life, the state of our democracy, and even the state of our humanity. The good news is that we can engage our discouragement, learn from it, maybe even wrestle a blessing from it. We can do that with God's help. Our discouragement has things to teach us if we let it. But we can't learn from it unless we are willing to spend some time exploring what discouragement truly is, and what its utility might be. So first, we'll define it. We will consider three uses of it. And then we'll talk about how to move through it towards hope. Were you surprised that Rosa Parks, one year before her famous act of civil disobedience, was in such a low place? That she felt that all her faithful work of many years had been futile? that even after experiencing two weeks of the kind of equality and harmony that she had dreamed of, she still felt powerless? If we banish discouragement from the range of spiritually acceptable emotions and view our own discouragement as a failure, then we usually also reason that spiritual giants like Rosa Parks, MLK, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, the saints of the church, They must not ever have felt this way, or at least not for very long. But if you read biographies or read the lives of the saints, you'll know that this is not true. If anything, great souls have more and deeper bouts of discouragement, more intense periods of self-doubt, more times when they wonder if their work has been for nothing than most of us. So the first step of grappling with our own discouragement, whether it comes from within or from what is going on in our world, is to stop treating it like a sign of our weakness or failure and instead to claim it as a rational human response to deep disappointment. What causes discouragement? Rick Warren, pastor of the Saddleback Church, has a pithy and alliterative answer. Fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear. Discouragement is an emotional response to those four kinds of experiences. I have a few different images for discouragement. The first is discouragement as a crossroads, it is a disorientation that forces us to choose a new direction, it's a kind of reckoning. And just as a crossroads is between towns in a kind of no-man's land, our own times of discouragement can feel like a wilderness where we don't know which road to choose or where we are too worn down to even make a choice, and so we're stuck. My second image is of a kind of sinking feeling. I think of discouragement as when you are swimming in a pool and you choose to allow yourself to sink to the bottom for a while. There might be lots of splashing and activity above, but you've sunk down so that, holding your breath, you are looking at the pool from below, from a new perspective. Now, if you stay down there too long, you'll drown. That's called despair. But this perspective from the bottom of the pool can be a useful vantage point temporarily. You can see things with a stillness and a clarity that you can't see from the surface. So while discouragement can feel like sinking, it is a sinking that can also allow us to go deeper. And finally, discouragement is a heart condition. That's the root of the word, courage, core, Latin for heart. To be encouraged is to take heart, to be discouraged is to lose heart. And this heart, this is heart in the sense of the Hebrew Bible, of heart, soul, and mind being wrapped up together, the heart as the core, the center of our being. Discouragement rocks us to our core. It is destabilizing, diminishing. It's a spiritual loss of oxygen. So how can a condition like this have any kind of utility for us as Christians? Well, I'll be frank with you. According to the great Google, most people think that it doesn't. So this is some original theology happening right now. But I'm convinced that in God, no part of our experience is wasted. What seems to be garbage is really, in fact, compost. So, here are three spiritual uses of discouragement, which we will look at through the lens of our scripture lessons for today. First, discouragement throws us back on the mercy of God. Second, it gives us a unique perspective on our situation that is disorienting but also valuable. Third, discouragement is an important part of the soul's natural pendulum. There are three uses because three is the holiest number for preachers. There are three persons of the Trinity, and there are three points to every sermon. So use number one, discouragement throws us back on the mercy of God. When I'm doing fine, when it's smooth sailing, I tend to chalk that up to my own efforts. The temptation of peaceful times is to become complacent. Fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear shake off that complacency quickly. I turn back to God for assurance, for solace, for wisdom, for clarity out of perplexity. We sang Sweet Hour of Prayer just now. I love the way this hymn depicts prayer as this sheltering relationship in the midst of the storm of life. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. Our trials and griefs make us turn back towards God, our Creator, Redeemer, And sustainer. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? The psalmist asks. In his distress, he longs for God as a deer longs for flowing streams. Discouragement makes us thirsty for the waters of life. Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Times of discouragement are painful, but they can also force us to seek God with a greater yearning, to go deeper in our relationship with God, to put away our stained glass sentiments, and to show up to prayer boldly and with greater honesty and vulnerability. Our families, our friends, our colleagues may not want to see that side of us, But God does. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let's work on this together. Secondly, discouragement gives us a perspective that is disorienting but also valuable. It is the bottom of the pool. For Rosa Parks, the safety of the Highlander Folk School provided her with this new kind of perspective. She wrote, at Highlander, I found out for the first time in my adult life that this could be a unified society, that there was such a thing as people of different races and backgrounds meeting together in workshops and living together in peace and harmony. It was a place I was very reluctant to leave. This supportive environment allowed her to confront her discouragement honestly, to admit to herself that she felt the odds were too great and that the forces of segregation were too strong for her to confront. She said, I gained there the strength to persevere in my work for freedom, not just for blacks, but for all oppressed people. But this strength came not by pushing away her feelings of doubt and discouragement, but by acknowledging them and sharing them. The prophet Elijah had a similar experience of retreating to a place of safety to confront the cost of facing the forces of oppression. Elijah was a political dissenter. He was a fighter and a crusader for justice. But in the lesson from 1 Kings, we see him exhausted, ready to give up in the wilderness, having fled for his life from Ahab and Jezebel. He is done. He is despairing. Huddled in a cave on Mount Horeb, the word of the Lord speaks to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah gives a summary of his career as a prophet, and he ends with, I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. It was all for nothing. And then Elijah is granted this vision of the Lord passing by, where there is a gale force wind, and then an earthquake, and then fire. And the scripture says that the Lord was not in any of these. They were just the prelude to the presence of the Lord. Elijah knows the presence of the Lord is in that place when he hears this mysterious sound of sheer silence, paradoxical, ominous. The King James Version translates the Hebrew as a still small voice. But the sound of sheer silence has something very intense about it, something powerful. When this reading appears in the lectionary, it ends at that verse... And so sermons on this passage end up often being about listening to the voice of God within and the importance of still small voices as opposed to displays of power. And those are fine thoughts. But they ignore the main message of what the sound of sheer silence actually communicates to Elijah, which comes in the next several verses. And let me tell you, the still small voice throws it down. It tells Elijah to essentially go back and foment revolution against Ahab and all the political powers that have become idolatrous and have abandoned their covenant with Yahweh. Elijah is told to start a holy war. He is to anoint two new kings, which of course is not going to sit very well with the current kings, and also to anoint his own successor, Elisha. And when these things come to pass, we learn that Elijah was wrong. He was not the only one left. There are 7,000 other prophets left in Israel who still worship the Lord. And through a long and circuitous path that is not without great cost, Israel does return to the Lord. Elijah's time in the wilderness forced him to answer some big questions. And if we sit with our own discouragement instead of pushing it away, we too will have some questions to answer, core questions about our identity, our deepest beliefs, and what is truly possible for us. Who do I think I am? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? And what can I really do? Seasons of discouragement can be times of painful disillusionment in our lives. But you know there's a funny thing about the word disillusionment. To become disillusioned is to experience loss. And yet it's also a gain because it is better to live without illusions. Disillusionment means that we are no longer being deceived or deceiving ourselves. The truth can hurt very much. But in the Gospel of John, we are told that the truth will set us free. The third utility of discouragement is that it is part of the soul's natural pendulum. I'm thinking here of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the 16th century founder of the Society of Jesus. Ignatius knew the value of the emotions, all the emotions, in the life of the Spirit, he knew that the so-called negative emotions channeled correctly could help us grow in love and grow closer to God. In fact, that they are essential to our long-term conversion. He talked about a movement of the soul between desolation and consolation. And this movement continues all our lives back and forth. This is how we grow spiritually. It's important to understand this and to understand that both states, desolation and consolation, are temporary, and that neither is better than the other. In times of discouragement, we need to remember that engaging with the sources of our discouragement can propel us out of this state and into consolation, into encouragement again. Elijah did as the still small voice commanded him. He did return, in spite of his fears, to triumph over the prophets of Baal. Rosa Parks admitted her discouragement her feelings of futility in her work. And then she participated in an act of civil disobedience that, act, that ignited the Montgomery bus boycott and the civil rights movement. In the middle of the bus boycott, she wrote to a colleague, we are having a difficult time here, but we are not discouraged. The increased pressure seems to strengthen us for the next blow. So how do we come to that place where in the midst of such struggle we don't feel discouraged, but empowered and equipped. That rather than disoriented, disillusioned, we feel grounded in our identity, our purpose, and in the truth of God's love. I think here the Apostle Paul is our man. Paul certainly embraced the full range of his emotions. No recipient of any of his epistles ever asked, but tell us how you really feel, Paul. Paul understood that Christianity is the religion of paradox, and that from a disciple's point of view, that means holding contradictions together within oneself. As he said in 2 Corinthians, in describing his often calamitous missionary journeys, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, And yet possessing everything. In other words, Paul had a really robust theology of down but not out. And I think we need to have one too. Paul was willing to wrestle the blessing out of discouragement, to call upon the name of the Lord in his times of need, to sing out loud and proud in prison. Paul was in it for the long haul. He was committed. Years ago, in a parish where I once served, there was a woman named Roz who, whenever she ran into another member of the parish, would ask them if they were committed. You know, in the grocery store or at the dry cleaners. And it took a bit for these mild-mannered Episcopalians to realize that she was asking them if they were committed to Christ. Maybe we all need a friend like that to challenge us, to provoke us into stating our deepest commitments, our truest purpose, wherever we are. Sometimes our own discouragement is that friend, if we can befriend it. There's a wonderful few lines that I think sums up all I've been trying to say this morning. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was the namesake of the high school in Parkland, Florida, where, after the massacre in February, a number of students reignited the debate on gun control, all while in the earliest days of their own deepest grief. Marjorie surely would have been very proud of them. A journalist, advocate for women's suffrage, ardent environmentalist responsible for the conservation of the Florida Everglades, and presidential medal of freedom winner, Stoneman Douglas passed away in 1998 at the age of 108. She once quipped, I studied elocution at Wellesley College, and I've been going around elocuting ever since. And her example has now inspired a new generation of courageous students who are traveling the country right now, speaking and registering voters this summer. This was what Stoneman Douglas wrote in an article in 1980. Be a nuisance where it counts, but never a bore. Do your part to inform and stimulate the public to join your action. Be depressed, discouraged, and disappointed at failure and at the disheartening effects of ignorance, greed, corruption, and bad politics, but never give up. We in the progressive church need a robust theology of down but not out, and we need to engage in the spiritual practice of targeted nuisancing. This requires us to fully engage with our own discouragement at the same time that we renew our trust in God and cast ourselves on God's mercy. To not be depressed, discouraged, and disappointed in all the violations of God's law of love that make up the headlines today would be to diminish our very humanity through callousness or willed ignorance. The odds are long, but God's people are always in it for the long haul. We can learn from discouragement and grow from it without giving into despair. And God's grace will propel us into a new dawn of justice, compassion, and peace. In God's name, amen.
5: We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Today's prayers come from the Sunday worship at the 2018 ELCA Youth Gathering in Houston, Texas. I will set the intention of each petition with, Lord, in your mercy, and the response will be, hear our prayer. Growing in faith and discipleship, we give thanks for God's merciful compassion as we pray for the church, the world, and all in need. Holy God, send out your church to cross boundaries for the sake of your holy compassion. Use our words and our actions to bring peace and wholeness to all people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of creation, all nature is a gift from you. Protect the earth from disaster and misuse. Free us from selfishness and help us to honor the genius of nature sharing our earthly home gently with one another and with future generations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Liberating God, soften the hearts of rulers and governments. Strengthen the voices of those who cry out for freedom and opportunity for the overlooked, oppressed, and abused. Teach your people to speak peace to all people and nations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful God, give us faith and make us whole. Ease the anxiety of undiagnosed or chronic illness. Soothe the suffering of all those who battle disease. Give courage to those who walk alongside the broken. Bring peace to the fractured and shattered lives of all who hunger for wholeness. Look with compassion on all who cry to you for healing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, surround all who stand in grief. Give full measures of your resurrection hope this day to those who have suffered loss, especially those we name in the silence of our hearts now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we lift to you these prayers and the prayers of our hearts, trusting in your everlasting love and mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
1: The peace of the Lord be always with you. We bear greetings once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, and invite you to put your uh, to uh, participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. A special word of thanks to our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Regina Walton, this morning, bearing us a word of hope out of discouragement. Speaking of discouragement, this Thursday, July 26th, Commonwealth Avenue will be closed from St. Mary's Street right out in front of Marsh Chapel all the way to St. Paul Street on West Campus, as well as the BU Bridge for the second half of the Commonwealth Avenue deck replacement over Route 90. It will remain closed through August 11th. For those of you who may suspect that this will result in some Traffic confusion and delay. You are not alone. More information on how to get around that uh, in the note in your bulletin, in the insert in your bulletin, or for those listening from home on the website bu.edu/capbridge. We encourage you to take note of that, especially those of you uh, who intend to be with us on Sunday mornings. We will be here live at Marsh Chapel each of the Sundays during the construction project. We do encourage our uh, congregation to plan a little bit of extra time to get here, whether you are driving or taking public transportation. Uh, Just keep in mind that you won't be able to get from St. Mary to St. Paul. More on the theology of that from Dean Hill when he gets back. We pray for a safe and speedy construction process for all of those beginning work on the project on Thursday, and may God have mercy on us all. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Richard Feliciano's setting of verses from Psalms 145 and 108, the eyes of all hope in thee, O Lord. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
0: Lord our God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen.
4: May your own discouragement become a deep well from which you draw many gifts, reliance on God's mercy, clarity from disorientation, and renewed purpose and commitment. May you wrestle a blessing from it and use it to widen the way of love in the world. And may God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you and equip you to be a nuisance where it counts. To the glory of God's holy name, amen.